I would advise myself to lean more into the right decision I wanted to make for myself rather than waiting till I saw a sign or something. Yeah. Because really that inhibits you from failing. Failing is the only way that you really start to grow. Be okay to fail. Mm -hmm. It's okay to fail and don't feel down on yourself for failing. Welcome to Profession Session. I'm your host, Brody Vinson. And in this show, I interview young business owners, entrepreneurs, and professionals in all kinds of different areas, just to talk about how they got into their industry and some of the things that have allowed them to be successful so far. Today, my guest is JP Mattingly. JP, thank you so much for being here with me today. Yeah, thank really you. I appreciate it. This is a really cool interview for me to be able to do because of a couple reasons. And one is that you're my cousin and I've known you pretty much my whole life. And another one is just that when I was getting started out in digital marketing, you really were my mentor and kind of showed me the ropes of what digital marketing was and just how to get into the space and kind of helped get me pointed in the direction that I feel like took me to where I am today. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. I you expressed that sentiment the other night and made me tear up a little bit, so that was nice <laughs> of you to do. You know, I remember at that time when you came to me, you were not really finding much passion out of what you were doing, even mm -hmm. though you were really trying to find it. So I'm glad it all worked out. Absolutely, it comes from the heart. I mean, it really, it did help me out a lot. And it was just a little bit out of college. So it's kind of that time where, you know, people are switching from learning things theoretically to being thrown out into the world and having to figure out what to do. So it's a, a turbulent time in your life, just figuring out what you're gonna do. Yeah, it is. It's not easy to navigate and there's a lot of options out there to choose from. So I'm sure, especially nowadays, it can feel increasingly confusing to find your footing. This is just really cool for me to be able to do and you're an absolute wealth of knowledge in the digital marketing space and I'm really excited to get into your story and how you got here today. Yeah, yeah, I look forward to it as well. Definitely, well I think a good place to start might be just you getting out of college and kind of how you got into digital marketing and how that led you to where you are today. Yeah, so I went to Ball State University in Indiana and there, I knew immediately when I went there, it was for the telecommunications program. Okay. Uh, David Letterman graduated from there. They had the Letterman building, so it was pretty you know, high tech for what I, what I was getting myself into. And I didn't know at the time that you know, digital marketing would revolve heavily around content creation and understanding how to atomize, like I talked about the other day that content, but um, I was just getting myself into videography and film because it was interesting to me. And so that kind of like set a good foundation for me to understand at the foundations of marketing. It's really creating compelling content, creating stories that people resonate with to help them understand what businesses sell or what products are being released. And I've been able to tie those things together by going through a master's program in digital marketing which allowed me to understand how to take what I've learned in my undergrad and apply it to business techniques to help 
businesses grow. And did you do that master's program right out of college or was that something you decided to do later on just based on the experience you had had so far? Yeah, that's uh, it's a probably a full other story, but uh, after I graduated, I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do with my life like as most people. people. So I was a manager at Abercrombie & Fitch for six months and I hated every day <laughs> working there. Um, Have you seen that documentary that came out recently, White Hot? Yeah, was I that, did. Was that pretty accurate? Spot, spot on, yeah, yeah, pretty spot on. But they they seem to have evolved a lot mm, since that's then. That's good. Yeah, um, but yeah, I that, during that six month period, I really had to do some soul searching, and I always wanted to move to a new city, like away from anything I knew. So that was kind of like one goal in mind, and then I knew I wanted to further my education. And in particular, I wanted to go to Full Sail University. I wanted to go there for undergrad, but it was way too expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think that just being in a place of uncertainty and wanting to figure out more about who I was kind of led me to make that leap. And that brought you to Orlando. Yeah, exactly. That brought me down to Florida and Orlando. It brought me to Gainesville where I had a couple jobs and met some of my best mentors. You know, just really helped me expand myself in the way that I was looking for. I think that's a really interesting subject. You brought up the whole process of finding mentors. And I'm curious, what did the process of finding a mentor look like for you? And what are maybe some tips on finding the right mentor? You know, I think finding a mentor is a very humbling process because you have to kind of like swallow your pride and realize that you aren't like the right person. You're not right in what you do. You don't know what you're doing, especially when you're out of college. and. That's a tough pill to swallow because you just spent all this time learning what you're supposed to do. And all of a sudden you face just the sheer lack of knowledge and experience that you really have. Yeah, yeah you have really no idea. Like mm -hmm. you're just scratching the surface when you're in college. And mentors really help elevate the education that you've learned and take you to a place that, you know, helps you understand your what you're doing for work at a deeper level. And so first, you know, realizing that I needed that and, and understanding that it's going to be uncomfortable. That's kind of like the first step. And then seeking those people out that really want to educate you and you can feel it when you're talking to them and you present your work to them, you start to realize who's really like in it to mentor mm -hmm. and who wants to do it. And when you find those people, you want to gravitate towards them and, you know, try to like get more feedback from them and continually put yourself in a position to be critiqued because they ultimately they like doing that. That's mm -hmm. what, that's what they want to do. But if you fight it, they aren't going to want to do that. So yeah. you just have to be able to swallow your pride and be open to the experience. I remember when I first started talking to you about digital marketing, one thing that you talking me through it helped with a lot was just contextualizing a lot of the stuff that I did know. I didn't know much at the time, but just helping contextualize what I did know really helped kind of get me pointed in the right direction for actually being able to do things with it. Well, thanks. Yeah, that's that was a big deal in my mentorship when somebody was mentoring me. You know, I, mm -hmm. I learned by application. You know, I can do the work up and down all day, but if I can't figure out where I went wrong or where I could be better in context, it's just not going to go anywhere. Yeah. You know? So that maybe is why I did that. Well, you learned it from one place and you were able to hand it off to the next person and hopefully I'll be able to do the same. Yeah, I mean, you're already doing great things, so I'm sure Thanks. you've already helped people. I learned from the best. <laughs> um, okay, we can be done. <laughs> <laughs> the over for sure, for sure. 
One thing I feel like we should go over just because I get a lot of questions about this and I'm sure you get even more. How would you define digital marketing? Because I feel like people have a little bit of an incomplete view of what it is a lot of times because it is so expansive. Yeah, I mean, digital marketing now today, I feel like is a lot of things. You know, there's a lot that encompasses a digital marketer's job. Uh, but I think for the most part, like at the very base level of it, like the foundation of it, it's allowing, uh, it's connecting people to brands um, in a digital way, like just through any avenue that that might be, like an advertisement, a, a commercial, um, a radio spot, any sort of way that's through tele telecommunications. So I think it's really cool that your background in undergrad was in telecommunications because one, it kind of shows that you can enter the space from a lot of different areas. And I feel like that background was really important for you and knowing how to create content that would later become important in your career. Yeah, it's much like a, uh, a creator, a creative director or a director of photography, they likely started in photography or they started in graphic design because it gives them the foundation to help lead people that they then would be leading to help them produce bigger ideas. Mm -hmm. So I feel like having that foundation has helped me a lot. Very cool. So we've kind of explained digital marketing. Next, I'd like to talk about what your first role was in digital marketing and how that kind of went on from there. My first job out of my graduate program, um, I worked for Gainesville Health and Fitness mm -hmm. in Gainesville, and you worked there too. Um, and I got hired as their digital marketing specialist there. And at the time, that meant a lot of CRM work. Mm -hmm. which I uh, like just a client resource management tool, like trying to make sure that I was on top of email marketing campaigns and analyzing data for, you know, leads that were coming in. It was very much at the time I felt boring. <laughs> um, but that, now yeah. I really love it a lot mm -hmm. because I was just not really understanding what it meant mm -hmm. to be able to do something like that at the time. Right. It didn't all connect for me until later in life. The importance of it and just the applications that are available when you learn to do it like that. Yeah, just how expansive it is mm -hmm. and how much it means to an actual digital marketing, you know, strategy. Yeah. So, you know, my first job out of college was marketing personal training. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was uh it was Kind of glamorous, but not so much as small town, but it was a great job for me because that's where I met my mentor. Yeah. And um, his name is John Carmine. He has been one of the best people in my life that's helped me understand how I should go about navigating my career. That's awesome. Um, that was your boss for that role, right? That was my boss for three of my roles. For three of your roles, wow, I, okay. I went with him from Gainesville Fitness to Santa Fe College. Mm -hmm. which is also in Gainesville and I was in their creative services department doing a lot of videography and digital marketing for them and then he went on to a software company where I got into SaaS which was exactly what I didn't know I wanted mm -hmm. and he brought me along with him and I was their marketing manager there and I got to work on a lot of other things outside of digital marketing but I was still working on digital marketing in the CRM right. world. And you know that's kind of like he the, the whole process. He, he just taught me so much mm -hmm. about how to be a better marketer. 
So you go through those first three roles and then what was the next role that you had after that? Yeah, after Meridian, Meridian LMS, it was a learning management system, the software I was marketing at the time, um, I went on to PureFit. So learning management, meaning helping educate a company's employees. Yeah, it's the software that educates employees. So, you know, all the tr boring trainings people have to go through for, you know, like uh, sexual harassment training. There's or less boring if you do a good job, I guess. Yeah. 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 If there's great. There's great products out there now that do a great job at building, you know, content that's actually engaging. Mm -hmm. But um, the LMS space, there's limited amount of players. And that was what I was figuring out how to market at that time. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but after that, I went on to PureFit. Mm -hmm. which is where I'm at now. And uh, I got really lucky with PureFit because I had heard about it uh, when I was working at Gainesville Health and Fitness. So at the start of my career, I met the CEO of it. And wow. um, it kind of was like a full circle moment to be hired for the team um, and be like poised to actually take on the role that they had open. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that kind of like laid the groundwork for where I'm at today. And you've been able to grow with them for a while now, which is really, really cool. And there's been a number of milestones that you've had with PeerFit. What stand out as some of the most important and most resounding ones for you? Yeah, there's been quite a bit. Um, as you said, I've, I've been able to grow with mm -hmm. them a lot. They are so supportive of my career and my personal life. Like they have such great work-life balance, which is why I've stayed so long. It's really important. Yeah, it is. And I love my boss. It's all, all great, all a great like uh, equation that just makes it, you know, work well. But um, some of the key moments I think in my career with PureFit has been launching a product for a Medicare space, uh, an area that was very ripe for disruption. It was a Medicare wellness benefit. Um, I also got to uh, go through the company acquisition um, recently, which was incredible. Congrats on that, by the way. I mean, that's huge and it's got to just be an earth shaking moment for the whole company. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool to know that I was a part of something so pivotal to be like desired by a company like our mother company now or our you know parent company fit on um they they definitely saw the value of corporate wellness and we did too early on and so now now that we're paired together it's like a match made in heaven absolutely and i think you mentioned to me that the acquisition was because PureFit had just done a really great job of building out the corporate wellness capabilities and that's what fit on the parent company was really looking for yeah yeah fit on um, is more of like a direct to consumer product so it'd be like something that you could go search for in the app store download it and really quickly use it for free mm -hmm. whereas pure fit is something that your employer or a health insurance company more b2b to c gotcha. where we go through a, a actual company to get to the end end user to have them then use our network of fitness experiences. So cool. just a little bit different, um, but they, now we cover the gamut of the entire space. Very cool. Yeah. And another thing that you haven't mentioned yet is that you were actually part of a commercial for PureFit where you got to be pretty heavily involved in the ideation and a lot of other stuff. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, um, PureFit, I mean, corporate wellness in general is not like this sexy topic like it's not this like interesting thing that people think immediately about mm -hmm. so there was a huge challenge of trying to make something that's not not that appealing or not talked about much um interesting yeah and so 
that was the challenge that we approached our commercial with and we approached corporate wellness now with that lens as well as a as a company and uh, the commercial that we produced actually did, did so well that we won an emmy a regional emmy for it congrats on that by the way thank you That's awesome. appreciate that and we actually have the emmy here do you want to show it this was the emmy it's um, pretty cool to actually have to show off um, it is, yeah i get lots of compliments on it so it looks great and it's really cool to have something like that that just represents such a pivotal moment for the company. Yeah, yeah, our, our company does a great job at recognizing stuff like that. Like you'll see on my desk, we, I did mention as well, but we were um, on Inc. 5000's fastest growing companies. We were um, in the top 10 percentile wow. for that. So, um, you know, we've done quite a bit as a company just collectively yeah. and they always recognize us whenever we do that. That's awesome. Yeah. What are some of the metrics that are used to determine the Inc. 500's fastest growing companies? It's really above kind of the discussions that I have day to day, but I do know the real um, way that they, they, they actually like measure that is um, just how much growth you experience from a revenue perspective. Uh, versus how much you're actually spending. Right, okay. So, Are you controlling costs and growing fast, that kind of thing, that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah, that's how they recognized us. So you've been with PeerFit for a while now and we talked about some of the big milestones while you've been there. What are some ways that you feel like you've grown as a professional being with a company that's growing so fast for a while? It's hard to put my finger on one thing in particular. I know for sure though that because PureFit, because the company that I work with, they they do such a great job at developing everybody um, if you want it. And so I've always wanted to be a leader and I've always wanted to mentor and manage and they've provided me that path. And so I know for me that challenge was really, really hard to mm -hmm. understand and my boss has been supportive through that whole process. And so now, you know, today, if I look back four years ago when I first started, I wouldn't have anticipated that type of growth at being accessible to me in one at one company. Right. But because I was so ambitious and, and spoke always about what I wanted to my boss, I just spoke very candidly, she made it happen. You know, she made it, made me feel supported and pushed me through and made things that I wanted come, come to life. That's awesome. It tells a lot about what you want to be looking for in a boss and in a company that you want to stay with for a while. Absolutely. That's, that is the primary reason I think anybody either stays or leaves a company is their boss. Yeah. Um, if you don't have a good boss, you're out. You know, it's every day is miserable. You don't feel heard. You don't feel like you can have open communication with them. It, I think that your relationship with your boss should be that of a serious partner. Mm -hmm. That the level of communication that you have with them should be so transparent that you can talk about anything yeah. and and you should be able to express what you want and feel like you can be heard. Yeah. And so And you mentioned that she's been really supportive in your professional life and in your personal life and I feel like if you've got both of those you can't really go wrong. Absolutely. I could rave about her up and down all day and I will follow her wherever she goes because <laughs> she just awesome. is uh, she's such a strong person and um, I want to be like her when I grow up <laughs> that's awesome yeah well another thing I'd like to touch on is some of the traveling you've done and the different cities that you've lived in I'm curious what 
drove you to want to live in a few different cities and just what kind of brought you along that path? Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, working from home isn't new for me. I know it's kind of been this like swelled up topic since COVID, but I've been working from home since I like, I don't know, seven years now. And uh, I, as soon as I started doing it, I knew I wasn't going to go back to anything else. Uh, it, the amount of flexibility your life gains from that is uh, something I didn't realize I needed at mm -hmm. the time, but now, now that I know it exists, I don't think I could see anything else any other way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, as you, yeah, you know, you touched on a good point. It, the flexibility it provides you to really explore your life is important. You know, you spend eight hours of your day with this company every day uh, for an entire, however long you're there. And that's a lot of time to be somewhere. And so, you know, when you think about how you can balance working uh, that wor with work, working and also figuring out your life, mm -hmm. you, you need to have those, that flexibility. And so I've moved around quite a bit because of that. Like, I just feel like I want to embrace my life. I want to explore my life. I want to feel like I've, you know, li I'm living my life to the fullest while I'm also working as hard as I can. With the technology that's allowed working from home in the last five, 10, 15 years, you really can get the best of both worlds in that way, which is really, really cool. Yeah, you can, and you just have to want it. And you can't be afraid to ask for it, yeah. you know, and you can't feel, you know, unmotivated to seek it out. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people get complacent or just really comfortable with where they're at and change is hard but as soon as you know what you want and you go after it you can you know figure out how to make it work yeah so did you start work from home with PeerFit? uh PeerFit has been a work from home company and it's in, since its inception okay so since it's been uh 12 years they've been working from home okay so they kind of have really they uh, pioneered it, like not pioneered it, but they have been adamant to talk about it publicly so that people know that it's something that you can do. What would you say to someone who might be looking to shift into more of a work from home role? What would you say that are, are some maybe talking points that they could bring up to their boss or whoever's in charge of making that decision that might help convince them or just shed a little bit of light on some of the benefits? that I can bring. Yeah, I, I feel strongly that data really helps prove points. Obviously, that's why I'm in the field I do. Uh, but I think, you know, when somebody approaches that conversation, they shouldn't be afraid to ask, what, what is the primary reason why you are making this decision? What is it based on? Mm -hmm. What facts is it based on? Yeah. Why, are you, why are you not engaging in a work from home policy? You know, there's numerous statistics out there that talks about productivity and working from home. You know, on the opposite end, I, I don't know what is out there that they're, they would be able to use to argue the case that staying in office every day of the week is something that actually works for a company. Right. So it's just like to getting the facts, I think, mm -hmm. first, and then feeling comfortable asking for that in general, I think, is just like starting the conversation, like having that the the ability to have that transparency with your boss like i talked about earlier right so that you can ask for those things um when you're when you're doing you know negotiation salaries and beginning of the year and role kind of like negotiations when you're going through those conversations and they're talking about your performance that's an important time to bring those things up because if you're performing well you know you should be able to come to the table with a bit of points that you want to negotiate on yeah 
Just like you would negotiate for a better salary or raise yeah. a bonus or something. Ask for everything. Yeah. yeah. Ask for working from home. Ask for a higher salary. Ask for a title. They're, they're going to have to work backwards from something. And so you might as well ask for the most. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And um, so, so you've been work from home this whole time. And we're kind of talking about some of the cities that you've moved around to. You've been to Orlando, Atlanta, and then now in Chicago. Didn't even mention that at the, the intro, but we're in Chicago for this, where you live. Yeah. Um, what have been some of your favorite things in each city and also maybe some things that you weren't as big of a fan of in each city? Yeah, so uh, you know, I've moved around quite a bit, as you said, and I, I've really, you know, when, before I move, before I started doing all this moving, I had an idea in my head that I really wanted to explore, you know, everything that this area of the world had to offer. Um, you know, I can work here freely in 52 states, 51 states. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Forget my own geography. Um, so why not explore as much as I can? And so I really outlined all the things that I was looking for to explore out of cities, like to understand. Mm -hmm. And from that, I kind of narrowed it down to the cities I thought would offer that. And so I've been doing that, you know, yeah. um, since I set that goal out. And, you know, Orlando was my first stop and I was there for so long and I loved that city. It was like my, you know how you, the first home you live in is kind of like the home your parents chose. You didn't really get to choose it yourself. Yeah. The second home that you moved to is really your space. Like you built that life. That's mm -hmm. yours. So that was what Orlando was for me. It was my home. That's my home. Yeah. Um, it's I really like, cool. I feel the same way about yeah. Orlando. Yeah. It's like uh, it's, I spent seven years there. You know, it's quite a bit of time. It is. And uh, so after you know that time period ended, I I think. Uh, really just exploring new cities, meeting new people, networking. That's the real value add that I was looking for. Uh, Atlanta wasn't my favorite stop. Um, I think that there was a, there's a lot of potential there, but I just wasn't motivated to tap into it for whatever reason. Um, Orlando, it didn't click with you on like a full, all the way kind of level? Yeah, it, the type of people that I was looking to meet from a networking perspective just weren't there for me like I, I wasn't able to expand in the way i was trying to and maybe that you know is part of me and i don't know for sure but if the city's not clicking yeah it's not clicking yeah so i i moved on from it to chicago which has always been a dream of mine and and i can see why it's always been a dream of mine these last six months have just flown by and i've loved every experience and minute of being here um so I've been here all weekend and I've been in, it's my first time in Chicago. I've been incredibly impressed with the city. Yeah, it's just, it, there's so many distinct neighborhoods and every square inch of the city is just packed tight. So walkable, so many different things to do. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, it's inspiring to be in it, especially in the summertime. And uh, it's it's got a lot to offer outside of just like the normal like city limits where you're kind of downtown walking around, going out to bars and drinking and whatnot. You've I would say a that's a very small part of it. That's yeah. the part that's impressed me the most. Because I've, I've tried to go to a couple different areas while I've been here. We're in a totally different area than downtown right now. And there's probably five or six other distinct ones I've been to. It's, it's incredible. Really. Yeah, every little neighborhood has its own charm. Mm -hmm. It's like its own little city. So absolutely. Yeah, I love it here a lot. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And you, I met some of your friends as well. It seems like just a really good network of people here as well. And you talked about networking in a new city. 
I, I guess while we're on that subject, I'm kind of curious whether you have any good tips for someone who is finding themselves in a new city. Maybe it's a city that they chose or maybe, maybe even they had to move there for work. What are some tips for doing that networking and kind of expanding your, your network in a new city? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really hard to put yourself out there. Um, I think the biggest hurdle in the process of networking and just relationship building is the unknown of, of knowing whether or not somebody, how somebody feels about you or how you're gonna interact in a situation. And that gives a lot of people anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like being able to allow yourself to go into those situations with an open perspective and open mind and not allowing yourself to get in your own way. You know, just go out, make an effort to make plans with people, even if they aren't making plans with you. Uh, learn from people, meet from people that you've met already, like try to network with those people so that they can, they start inviting you to certain things or go plan things for them and have, you know, a party at your house and, mm -hmm. you know, just doing take things that, yeah, take the initiative and put yourself out there because it really will pay off. I like that. And it makes it easy when you're in a city with plenty to do. Yes. So yeah. Chicago is a great choice. Yeah. It's, there's too much to do. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel that in Orlando sometimes too. You just got, you have to be kind of selective sometimes if you're, especially if you're busy with work, you gotta, sometimes you gotta say no if, if your friends want you to come out to the bar things like that. Yeah. Yeah. You, I've learned to of, say no. Yeah. <laughs> just part of figuring yeah. out the work-life balance. Yep. So on another note, um, we, we kind of just breezed through a lot of the work you do with digital marketing, just setting up your background a little bit, but I'd like to talk a little bit more specifically about some of the, the CRM work that you do mm -hmm. and, and the platform of choice that you use, which is HubSpot. And that's something that you showed me a lot when, when I was first talking to you about digital marketing and I just was blown away with the capabilities of it and what you can do. Yeah. You know, I said earlier, CRM is really kind of where I fell into um, unintentionally. But now, as I've kind of grown in my career, I've grown appreciation for it. And the reason is that there's so much value to being informed by data on how you approach marketing campaigns. And so usually it's really hard to find that and track that because for whatever reason, there hasn't been somebody usually managing that well or somebody that's like looking in the system and thinking on how it should be set up right. to manage that well. And so that's where I really think that I, because I can do that and because I've been able to build the system CRM in a way that supports you know, informing my marketing campaigns and the team's marketing campaigns, that's really played a huge role in how we approach our marketing strategy. And so uh, having the ability to understand a CRM and how it works and how sales teams and account management teams and marketing teams work inside of that and how they all relate under one technology really helps you understand how to build the strategy to hit the buyer at every point in the journey from, mm -hmm. from an unknown prospect all the way to an evangelical customer. Yeah. So it's important to know every step in that process to have marketing campaigns to address every pain point. Absolutely, and, and just keep CRMs people in and the funnel. That. Yeah, yeah, and HubSpot, you HubSpot said, yeah. I drank the Kool-Aid with that stuff. It's like a beautiful technology and it, it grows with your business in every way that you are trying to grow and there's a, there's a part to the product that you may not be using now that you be, might be using in a year from now. Mm -hmm. And so 
You could start as simple as just the a very basic CRM, or you could be setting up automated workflows with little trigger points for any kind of thing that a customer could do that have an email campaign go out or or this series of surveys go out. It's it's really incredible just the, the capabilities of it. Yeah. The ability to grow. Yeah. You can get pretty, pretty detailed. It's mm-hmm. it's insane. Yeah. Um with the automation aspects of a CRM. And that's mm-hmm. really where the value comes in is like you're managing a CRM well, you get to leverage the data that you manage well in a way that is automated. So it just expand what you as one person are able to do really because you can't be I mean you're you're limited to a certain extent in being able to manually send out emails to all the clients but if you have certain email campaigns and and that's something i had i I would say my experience with hubspot i had the most experience with the email campaigns it's a very simple drag and drop interface where you're just you're editing these these emails making them look the way you want to and then the data that you get back from them is so granular yeah and and i would say that you really would just that are scratching the surface Mm -hmm. um you know some of the campaigns that i've found myself working on lately have uh, really opened my mind up to just like how um, automation can be a complementary tool to not only the marketing team for nurturing leads, but for the sales team, you know, when they have a deal that goes idle, uh, like when it's in your pipeline and it, and it sits there for more than five or six days, you can have automation that picks up the slack for your team mm-hmm. and uh, automatically sends email notifications from directly from your sales team. And that lift there in and of itself, when you think about the, the capacity of a sales team, a sales rep can't manage you know an infinite amount of deals but no. automation can yeah and so if your sales rep is on top of like a deal and it falls off automation kicks in it t- picks up the slack for them where they might not be able to and in the case of a deal it may be just that one extra touch point that you need to close the deal yeah and you can get even further more detail there you know when a deal goes idle at a certain stage in the process you know what those people need, those prospects prospects need, in order to be educated at that point in the process. So you can have automation in place that if it goes idle, it can deliver educational pieces that a deal would need to push forward. Would you say a huge part of just keeping up the touch points with customers is the education? I think that that's a fraction of it. Uh, you know, education is um, just a little bit of it. Usually people nowadays are really into the idea of an inbound marketing strategy, which is uh, prospects informing themselves on products. Mm-hmm. So they're going to find information about what you sell, whether you give it to them or not. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing I think now about that's that I think people get hung up on is the uh, is just the relationship building part. Um, usually you have no idea if you're in communication with the right person. That's a Mm -hmm. decision maker. Um, You need to know who those people are and how to navigate conversations to get to the right person. And HubSpot creates a great tool for that as well, which um, allows you to start labeling uh, prospects at companies based off of their level of decision making. Wow. There's uh, lots to the tool that just you can get pretty detailed on and not to like take it too far, but even further than that, you can have automation in place to educate 
non-decision makers inside of a company to know how to tell decision makers within their company how to buy our product. Right, so, because sometimes by design, it's very difficult. In most cases, probably by design, it's very difficult to reach that decision maker because people know that they're decision makers. They're going to be hitting them with all kinds of offers. So well, they, they're inundated. There's exactly. there's no space for them to even read an email, a sales email. Exactly. They need they have people that aren't inundated within the company who do this type of research. Mm -hmm. So you have to build what are called champions within mm -hmm. organizations, so that those champions then tell those decision makers about your product. Yeah. So I like that. It's it, there's tons of automation strategies that you can explore for anything really. Uh, Another really cool thing from that you showed me about HubSpot, I remember back in the day, is just the, the dashboards that you're able to build out for the data collection. And you had these incredibly comprehensive dashboards that showed all kinds of data points that really allowed you to be informed on exactly what was happening with your campaigns. Yeah, yeah. I think a big part of marketing is trying to prove why you're spending so much money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, exactly. And not a lot of people can prove that typically because the way prospecting and lead generation works, it's hard to fully track that process from start to finish from like I said earlier, from a lead that has no idea who you are to a customer that's an evangel evangelical. Uh, it seems like now more days the CRM lets us do that, especially mm -hmm. HubSpot. You yeah. know, there's a lot of tracking mechanisms built into it. If you build your entire business on it, like account management, sales, and marketing, you can track everything from start to finish and find out just what made the most impact, what was the strongest attributor, attributor to closing that deal. Mm -hmm. And HubSpot makes it so easy with their dashboards because they give weight to landing pages, to forms, to advertisements, to automation. Mm -hmm. There's there's weight to that and the an attribution. The different points along the customer journey yeah. that yeah. aren't just the very end. Yeah, it, it applies weight to all of those touch points on the dashboard so that you can see at a glance what this prospect went through from start to finish and how much time they spent at each of these touch mm -hmm. points and how much of that touch point they consumed. Yeah. And it really allows you to get a bigger picture of just how well marketing works. And for a marketing professional, it allows you to really give weight to the strategy that you're pursuing and, and internally know whether it's working for one, but also be able to show those results to whoever you are working for, the company you're working for. And, show, and be able to prove the, the results of your actions so that you can continue doing them and get approved too. Yeah, yeah, you can see what's working well, but even more important, you can see what's not working well. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, it has really helped us get better at our strategies. Um, you know, the data that you store on things that you lose is just as important, I've come to discover lately. And um, you know your CRM is this wealth of data that allows you to mine historical information and try new strategies on that historical information. That's interesting. So you know things that might not have worked because you were testing at that time for these prospects, you've refined over the years. You can now reapply those pros those new strategies to those old prospects that you I had. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Old prospects or old campaigns where. Maybe they just weren't implemented right or something. Yeah. That's yeah. very cool. And that's more of what, what I've been doing lately is looking within 
rather than trying to bring in new new prospects and try to help people understand our product and brand i'm look i want to look at the old prospects i want to look at why we lost them why right we, yeah and can we get them back yeah and you mentioned when we were talking off air the other day that you've really kind of shifted focus on in that same vein on just focusing on existing data and being able to leverage that better i think that kind of goes along to that and supports that point yeah yeah it's pretty incredible what we've been able to see just from a data perspective and built tons of dashboards like as you talked about just to prove it so mm -hmm. It's, uh, I would say that that has been something that I haven't really given much thought to until this year, is yeah. that, that historical approach. And another thing that I remember was really cool about you being able to build out those dashboards is because we haven't mentioned this yet, but you do a little bit of freelance work as well with other companies. And I remember when you were first showing me all of this, I think you had just for the first time negotiated a deal where the company you were doing some freelance work with, rather than just having a flat fee, you were actually able to scale the revenue that you, or the uh, the pay that you were getting from the company up with the, the growth that you were directly attributing to the data points. And I think that's a really cool thing for maybe a freelance marketing professional or someone working for a company. If you're able to set it up and frame it that way, you can really grow with the company better. Yeah, yeah, I, I think the biggest part, like I said before, when you come to a negotiation is having your facts or just like when you're trying to talk about something that you want to prove a point on, you need to have data or information to back that up. Mm -hmm. And the only way that you can really do that is if you're starting to track it. Yeah. And so when you start to track it, you start to realize like, oh, I might be getting underpaid for this mm -hmm. because they're making a shit ton of money off of this deal and I'm only seeing a fraction of a fraction of a percent come back to me being paid for it. Exactly. And so when you start to see how the things that you do directly contribute to something being closed or something being won, it matters. Mm -hmm. And if you can prove that through like a dashboard or some facts, then it makes your point even more believable. Gives you much more negotiating power. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I know a number of young marketing professionals actually that struggle with that point, um, especially when they're in a position where they're essentially the entire marketing department for a, a very small business. That's a common thing where a marketing professional is kind of forced into just being an all around business development person and they're doing a great job, but they struggle to be able to show exactly how much their efforts are contributing to things. Yeah, and you know, it, it really does suck that um, you're expected to do your job and then prove why your job is effective, mm -hmm. even though there's been success shown. Um, you know, it's, it sucks that you have to do that, but you have to do that because otherwise you'd be basing, people who are you're talking to would be basing their, their decision-making on something that's not tangible. Mm -hmm. And so if they were to do that with every department and every single person that came to them with this argument, it would get messy really yeah, fast. Exactly. So it's understandable, but it sucks. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's like trying to figure out how to build that habit and find a way to get into the CRM and work with your CRM managers or whoever's managing it at your company to help you them understand what you're trying to track. Because mm -hmm. the chances are that they can figure it out. 
it's yeah. it's pretty malleable every CRM out there. Mm -hmm. You just have to know what you're looking for. Yeah, I feel like it's just about kind of talking through the entire customer journey as it pertains to the specific company and identifying those points because if it's not talked about and it's not clearly laid out, then no one has a super clear understanding of it. That can help the sales department a lot too. Yeah. And them just understanding where they need to really put in some extra work to help convert. Exactly, if you map out your buyer's journey from start to finish and know every point in that touch point that you need, every friction point that you face along the conversations, every no, every reason why you get a no and having campaigns to back that up as well, mm -hmm. you'll understand at a better, at a higher level where your efforts need to be built first of all, like where you need to build marketing camp collateral, and second of all, where you are best at closing and helping mm -hmm. the process along the way. And you also see areas where you can improve. Yeah. And so I think just mapping it out from start to finish and knowing every single point along the way, whether it's good or bad, having that as like at, right in front of you helps you start to develop those points that you talk about in conversations to negotiate. Exactly. And another thing that I think is really cool, just in the same vein of conversation as all the CRM stuff, is just the, you know, you mentioned before as you got into it deeper and deeper, being a little seasoned in the CRM work that you do, is just how applicable it is to any company. Any, any company needs to be data-driven and, and be understanding of what's working and what's not with their customers to be able to grow fast and to be able to expand. I mean, otherwise you, if you keep doing the same things, you're not going to grow. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest thing is that marketing can apply to anything. Mm -hmm. any, any marketing technique that you have can apply to anything. Your challenge is understanding the product. And so once you understand the product, you apply all the techniques that you already know just to how that product works. Mm -hmm. Once you have the buyer journey mapped out, Exactly. So it's pretty easy to just take what you know and apply it to pretty much anything. Which is a really cool thing about marketing. That's, I remember that was one of the big things that we talked about when I was thinking about getting into it and that was a huge thing that drew me to it was just, you can enter any industry from this. You yeah. really can. And, you, and if you're in a position just out of college or something like I was a couple of years when I kind of got into it and you don't really know what it is you want to do yet, it's a really good entry point to anything because you just, you learn the things that work well and then the industry comes as it comes. Yeah, and then maybe someday you start to become a specialist in mm -hmm. certain industries. Like, I would say that I'm a specialist in SaaS. Yeah. SaaS products. Which is software as a service. Yeah, yeah, and there's tons of different products out there. I feel like software as a service is kind of where the future is going. Every industry is going to offer some sort of SaaS product eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, and anything that you do nowadays is going to be through the internet. Yeah. So it's only a matter of time. I completely agree. I mean, it, and it's just getting more and more niche as things go along. Like, like the product that you have is pretty niche. It's, it's focused on really developing a corporate wellness program within a company and that can apply to almost any company as yeah. well. And it's Health just, and wellness tech. Exactly. Like FinTech. Mm -hmm. you know, like there's tons of tech out there. It's just the industry specific type of stuff that gets a little exactly. bit more niche. A lot of options with it. Yeah. Well, on a completely different vein of conversation, another thing I wanted to kind of go over with you, going back to the fact that you've kind of gone to a couple different cities, 
is you've done a little bit of, I guess, what I would call real estate investing as you've had your career develop and gone from city to city. How did you first decide? So that what that started with was you buying your first home in Orlando and, um, and it's kind of grown from there. How was that something that you got involved in? How did you decide that you wanted to buy your first home? Yeah, uh, goes back to that conversation point of finding mentors. Uh, you don't just need a career mentor. You should have a financial mentor, a uh, personal mentor, uh, maybe even a therapist. <laughs> um, you know, just to help you understand your own thoughts and understand the world. Because mm -hmm. there's just so many pieces to it that your parents could never educate you fully on what it is. Mm -hmm. They get 18 years with you, and in those 18 years, you're you're they're still learning at the same time you are. Yeah. And so, you know, I think keeping that perspective, you should find a mentor that understands real estate if you want to get into real estate. And for me, that's what I accidentally fell into is somebody that saw somebody who was inquisitive. I asked a lot of questions and she liked that. And as soon as she realized like I was serious about buying a home, she helped me understand what that process was like. And then she also, it just was an extra bonus that she was a, an investor herself. She invests in real estate herself, her and her husband. So she taught me, you know, everything about that and how it works and how to renovate a home and how to increase its value and what to look for and what not to look for. So you just need the right people around you. You need to have the desire to want to do that first and then you, you'll figure it out. Ask the questions, yeah. just be curious. Yeah, and real estate wasn't my intention. I never thought I would own a home, but it's so easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, relatively speaking, it's it, it seems much harder than it actually is to buy your first home. Until you start asking questions and realize yeah. what, what it is you need to be doing. Exactly, and then it becomes this like snowball effect. I, mm -hmm. I just sold my house and- Congrats it, on that, by the way, that's awesome. Thanks, it's a big deal because I, now see the value of owning and selling and seeing the increase in value of something that you worked hard on. Because it sets you up for potentially the next house that's gonna get you to the next house. And it's yeah. something that can allow you to build equity in yourself and in your, in your personal wealth. Yeah, it's another quickly. stream of income. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just diversifying your income. So another thing I kind of wanted to do is just because you have such a vast knowledge of digital marketing tactics in different areas. So I thought it would be cool to go through kind of a role play exercise where we just talk about maybe a, a fictional kind of scenario where someone's looking to expand their marketing efforts for their company or their, their pursuit and just kind of talk about some of the first things that you would do, first things that you would suggest. So I thought it'd be interesting, and we talked about this a little bit off air, is uh, talking about someone who might be trying to resell shoes. Uh, I know a few people that do this personally, where they'd shop in kind of different avenues online for like for new trending shoes, maybe trending sneakers, and then they purchase them and try to resell them for a profit. Mm -hmm. So if you were building a business out of that, what, were, what would be some of the first things that you might suggest for someone who is looking to expand their digital presence there? Yeah, I think the first question I would really want to understand from them is if they were trying to build a brand or just something that they can, you know, resell the shoes. Like, is it just like they're like an Amazon marketplace type of thing? You know, if they were trying to build a brand, it would be a different story. You know, like I would definitely have a lot of questions around that. 
But if it's just a reseller just trying to like to throw things up online and see if they stick, then that is that like the kind of avenue that you think they take or like build an actual brand? Let's talk about maybe building an actual brand because it would be my, I guess you could go either way, but it would be kind of my intuitive thought that building the brand is a better long-term strategy if you want it to be something that you do long-term. Yeah. And I think, I think it's a, probably just a more valuable conversation to think about like a long-term, like the long-term growth of a brand and someone really building a, a lasting and sustainable company. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, so quite a bit to do, but, um, I try to give like cliff notes version sure, of yeah. it. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're first starting out as a brand, you really want to understand what your message is and your identity. I feel like when you're an artist like that, or you're reselling something that's already produced, you, it's hard to like know exactly what your footing is because you're trying to find a key differentiator from you in the marketplace. So really like thinking deeply about why somebody would want your product and why they would come to your site to help really develop that brand message is I think key, you know, understanding your mission mm -hmm. and why you're doing what you're doing. You know, obviously- For example, your mission might be that you're a long time just enthusiast of the sneaker, the, the high fashion sneaker design space and you just wanna be able to provide that to as many people as possible. Yeah, I think the mission could be taking the labor out of searching for new fashion trends in shoes. I like that. Like that person might take it upon themselves because they are a hobbyist and people like me who don't do much shoe research, mm -hmm. I wouldn't know these trends. So you're really taking that work off of me to have to do the research because exactly. you're, you're curating, you know, things that I would like mm -hmm. or that I should know about. Um, so it's like really understanding your brand, your message, your mission, and then from there creating what your product is, like understanding what your product is and having a description of what that product is. You know, if most, like I said, most companies are internet based now and this is a reseller. So it's understanding your brand enough to build a brand identity online. You know, people should be able to recognize what differentiates you immediately as an online presence. And so coming up with your colors, your logos, your, how you write, even the tone, vo tone of voice that you write in, uh, coming up with an Instagram or social media strategy that supports that, that look, that tone, and the content supports that tone. Uh, having people work collaboratively with you on building out partnership programs and understanding how you can connect to the bigger picture and if there's any opportunity there to help build sort of like an affiliate network. Mm -hmm. Start having those conversations. Um, you know, you want to you wanna have, when you launch a product, you want to have a good base to, to, pick, to pick from, like actually like market to, so that they can start spreading the message. So building as much of a network as you can with your existing network, as well as people that are part that are affiliates in that similar space, seeing if you can, you know, tap into their network. I think that gets you off on the right foot after you've developed all the brand identity points, the mission, everything that you need to be successful. I love that. Yeah. I think that gives a lot to go off of if you're starting out. I mean, just really getting yourself out there and in all the right avenues, but in a very consistent way so that your brand is recognizable. Yeah, yeah, so it's not just like, it doesn't seem like something temporary. Mm -hmm. You want it to feel like something substantial, otherwise people can sense that. Yeah. You know, it can, it, if, it's, if your objective is just to make money quick, people can sense that. Mm -hmm. And so you wanna have this authenticity about you that feels substantial. I, I know for me at least, when I am considering maybe 
a new brand for something that I think I'll repurchase, I want to grow with that brand. And I think people intuitively, naturally just want to grow with a brand. So if it feels like something that's going to stay around for a while, that's comforting knowing that you could come back and get that same experience. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the thing, big things to note as well is don't get too hung up on small details in the beginning. When you're building a new brand and you're trying to build the marketing strategy and everything, it can seem very overwhelming because there's so much that you could do. I recommend breaking up anything that you do at all, period in life really, uh, into phases. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, phase one can be the foundation of something, the bare bones of something, because the plan is to iterate and grow and improve upon it into your phase two, three, four, or whatever. So understanding at a foundational level what the bare bones is that you need to build that, that authenticity um, and then growing from there. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Well, there's a couple other questions that I have for you that I like to ask in every interview. And the first one would be, so you've been in this industry for a while now, a number of years um, in the digital marketing industry as a whole. And I'm curious about if you were to be able to go back in time and just talk to a young JP as he was first getting into the industry, having the knowledge and the wisdom of the years of experience that you have now, what are some, just a couple things that you would tell him to do differently as he's entering the space? Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's much to do with my technical experience as much as it is a confidence thing. Um, you know, when we're young, we're developing a sense of self. Mm -hmm. And so leaning into the things that you think are right doesn't always feel comfortable. Right. So I would advise myself to lean more into when I felt like that there was a right decision I wanted to make for myself rather than waiting till, you know, I saw a sign or something. Yeah. Uh, because really that inhibits you from failing mm -hmm. and failing is the only way that you really start to grow yeah and so just fail be okay to fail like mm -hmm. it's okay to fail and don't feel down on yourself for failing just try to fail up yeah yeah and then, um I, that's really cool and very insightful and i think in general just having having that confidence and the ability to lean into things that are a little uncomfortable is a very good way to just help yourself grow quickly yeah more quickly than you thought was possible. Yeah, it's literally the only way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Well, that's awesome. And um, the other question that I would have for you is just to so the, the show is called Profession Session. And I'm curious, what does being a professional mean to you personally? Yeah, um, I would feel that being a professional isn't so much as how I conduct myself at my job. I think being a professional is how I impact others, how I, how I bring others up around me, like how I help inform and how I mentor and how I take what I've learned and share it. I think, you know, being a professional can be a number of things like maturity or making the right choices or being, you know, very scheduled and regimented. Um, but I think, you know, being somebody who is a professional means that you have a lot of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So ultimately the, the goal is to share. 
Yeah. So just uh, become a professional sharer. I don't know. It's like just uh, the, I think that that creates a better atmosphere um, for you to become even better at what you do Agreed. and even more professional. And it helps you improve your own industry around you. Yeah. And if you want to be in an industry long term and you're improving the industry by giving back in that way, it's it's good for everyone in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, it can. It can be really good, but you know, I think that feeling confident, like I said earlier, to be like that is the first challenge. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great answer. Thank you for that. Yeah. And um, is there anything else that you would want to give just to, to the audience at home, just talking about the space of digital marketing or being a professional or, or anything that you've learned along the way that you'd want to give back? Um, I mean, the reason I feel like I've been so uh, positioned well to experience what people I think call luck. Like, I feel like luck is just when you're the most prepared for the best opportunities. And so when you prepare yourself to be ready for these big opportunities, be open to just being uncomfortable all the time. Because mm-hmm. um, it's not going to feel like success isn't going to just feel like one day it just changes. Like you just one day wake up and you're successful. It's like a very, very glacially moving, like an initiative in your Mm -hmm. life. And I think I still don't feel successful. Um, So don't get down on yourself. Uh, Just trust the process. Love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, JP, thank you so much for being on here. This has been a really awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm glad you could make it to Chicago and interview me. I'm glad you had me. Thank you so much for having me and showing me around the city and, and everything. It's been yeah, you'll awesome. Have, you'll have to come back. Absolutely. Um, I think I will maybe, be because I have loved this city. Maybe. I probably saw like a half a percent of it. <laughs> yeah, there's so much more. And yeah. just don't come back in the winter. But Yeah, that's what yeah. I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you back here then. Awesome. Well, thanks again, and this has been Profession Session. I've been your host, Brody Vinson. My guest has been J.P. Mattingly of PeerFit and many other freelance ventures and just real estate investing, anything that he wants to do to make himself a little more uncomfortable and grow. Yeah. Awesome. Signing off. Thanks so much for tuning into Profession Session. I'm your host, Brody Vinson. Stay tuned for new episodes every week and short clips of deep dives into specific topics that I put out on different social media channels. We could be found on YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, TikTok, all major podcast platforms. You can find my guest in the details of this video or podcast. And if you happen to know a young standout business owner, professional, or entrepreneur that you would think would be a good fit for Profession Session, should DM me or get in contact with me anywhere and just let me know. And they could be the next to tell their story here. Until next time, again, this has been Profession Session. Stay focused, stay hustling, and stay networking.